Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us today. I'm joined at the podium by the Minister for Health and Social Care and online by our Director of Public Health. Since I last spoke to you, four members of our community have tragically lost their lives to COVID-19, two of which were announced earlier this afternoon. I'm sure the thoughts of everyone on our island are with all those affected. Mine most certainly are. At moments like this, I reflect on the decisions we have taken over recent weeks and months, and indeed throughout this pandemic. None of these decisions have ever been easy or straightforward. Seeking to find the best course of action, whether as the Council of Ministers or as Timwald, has always been a balancing act, something I have often mentioned at this podium. The difficult task of balancing the needs of our society, the needs of our economy, and the needs to protect lives. We have always sought to make decisions in the best interest of our island and our community. We only have to look at our immediate neighbours, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Jersey and Guernsey, and the different paths each nation has taken in responding to the virus. There is no single approach to dealing with COVID. No obvious right or wrong answers, just differing perspectives, with each government striving to do what each feels is right for their community. The global response to the pandemic has first and foremost been about protecting lives, but it has also been about protecting our way of life. Throughout three lockdowns, over a year and a half, we have worked together to save lives and buy time. Time for effective vaccines to be developed and to enable us to return to relative normality. Vaccines greatly reduce the likelihood of our people of our island becoming seriously ill or dying from COVID-19. This unfortunately does not mean that no one fully vaccinated won't become sick or lose their life to COVID. But it means we have done our utmost to protect as many people as we possibly can. Our vaccination team has now administered almost 125,000 vaccine doses. There remains just under 4,500 second doses to get in arms over the coming weeks, at which point we will have vaccinated every adult on the island who has come forward against COVID-19. And there is more to come. Work is already underway on a vaccine booster programme for those likely to be most vulnerable to the virus. And yesterday, the JCVI recommended that vaccinations be extended to all 16 and 17-year-olds. More on this in a moment. Last week, Public Health published an updated COVID vaccine surveillance report. It estimated that, up to the 23rd of July of this year, 60,000 deaths and more than 22 million infections in the UK have been prevented as a result of the COVID-19 vaccination policy programme. Extrapolating this for the Isle of Man, we estimate that 91 deaths have been prevented on our island, along with more than 33,000 infections. Those figures put the power and importance of vaccinations into stark perspective. Vaccinations save lives. Despite the huge strides made through our vaccination programme, it is concerning that around 8,000 eligible adults on our island have not come forward to be vaccinated against COVID-19. To those 8,000 people, I would say this. Vaccines are saving lives every day right here in the Isle of Man. Please think carefully about the decisions you make. Vaccination is always a personal choice, 
I know that there are those who cannot be vaccinated, but I am assured medically that we are talking tens of people who are not recommended to have it, not thousands of people. We are always cautious on the level of information we divulge about hospital cases of COVID, as we must respect patient confidentiality. But I will not hesitate to use information at our disposal, where appropriate, to demonstrate important public health messages. I also believe that sharing information transparently with our community is an important part of helping everyone make personal decisions, a key part of our current response, rather than government dictating practices. Firstly, whilst we have seen a relatively large number of admissions to the hospital over the last week or so, much of this reflects the wave of cases we saw that peaked, that peaked on 10 days ago on Monday the 26th of July. Hospital admissions for COVID tend to lag the actual case numbers by between one and two weeks. Our expectation now is that as case numbers have reduced, so the level of hospital admissions will reduce. Secondly, I think it is also helpful to clarify that out of the 16 COVID admissions at the end of play yesterday, seven were actually admitted for another reason, not knowing they were positive until they were admitted. Whilst everyone in hospital with COVID is of concern to us, we must recognise that not all admissions have the same level of care requirements. Some may, some may not require any additional COVID care plans. They are simply there for other reasons. And finally, and most importantly, of the 16 people in Nobles Hospital yesterday with COVID-19, 10 are aged under 80 and seven of these patients were unvaccinated. That is a really important figure. 70% of current patients aged under 80 are not vaccinated. If you haven't come forward for a vaccine, there is still time, but please do not delay. Register online at covid19.gov.im forward slash vaccine or call 111 today and register for an appointment. I'll hand over to the Director of Public Health to talk a little more about that public health report, the importance of getting vaccinated and the latest vaccination developments. Dr Hewitt. Thank you, Chief Minister. The Public Health England report estimates the impact of vaccination on cases and deaths compared to what would have been expected if there were widespread COVID transmission in the community and no restrictions in place. So it gives us an illustration of the huge difference that vaccination makes and also how different the position is for us now compared to last year when we had no vaccines and we all had to rely on restrictions to reduce mixing as the only way to control spread. We've said before in these briefings how effective vaccines are in preventing symptomatic illness, serious illness and hospitalisation. So to recap on that, they give 85% protection from symptomatic illness and around 95% protection from hospitalisation and death, which is a quite astonishing figure for reduction in risk. However, people can still become infected even though they've been fully vaccinated. And although the vaccines reduce the risk of infection and transmission, the impact on that is actually lower than the impact on symptomatic illness 
and serious illness. So this means that people who've been fully vaccinated can still develop infection, they can still transmit, although at much lower rates than unvaccinated people. And in some cases, fully vaccinated people will develop serious illness, some will need hospital admission, and very sadly, some will die. The strongest predictors of that are age and underlying conditions. So to illustrate that, someone who is aged 80 and has been fully vaccinated will have reduced their risk from COVID to that of a 50-year-old unvaccinated person, which is a fantastic risk reduction, but it doesn't reduce the risk to zero. Vaccination is the most important tool we have against COVID, and our uptake on Ireland has been excellent. But as Chief Minister just said, we have around 80,000 people in the current eligible groups who haven't come forward for vaccination. That's way higher than we'd expect on the basis of known contraindications to vaccine, which are actually extremely few. So we'd really encourage anyone who hasn't yet been vaccine, vaccinated to really think about why they're hesitating and whether the risk of harms and benefits from COVID versus vaccination um, are such that a vaccination really would be the better course of action to take. For anyone with an underlying condition, including immunosuppression, at whatever age, the risks of catching COVID significantly outweigh any risks from vaccination. And similarly, we're strongly encouraging pregnant women to take up the offer of vaccination to protect both themselves and their baby because of the increased risks of COVID in pregnancy, particularly in the third trimester. So finally, just to pick up on the changes to the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation recommendations, which we will be following here, um, the current changes are now to include the offer of Pfizer vaccine to all 16 and 17 year olds and DHSC and Manx Care are currently in the process of planning the rollout of that. Young people aged 12 to 15 who are household contacts of people who are immunosuppressed will also be a new group to be offered vaccination. And the main benefit there is actually to protect the household member and by so doing to relieve some of the stress and anxiety that some of these young people have had that they may be putting household members at risk. Uh, Young people in the 12 to 15 age group with specific underlying conditions are already recommended to have vaccine. Um, and the JCVI is considering further data before making any further recommendations for healthy 12 to 15 year olds. The balance of risks and harms there in terms of vaccination and risk from COVID is very much more finely balanced. And that's why JCVI is waiting to bring in all the latest data on that and review it before making a, a recommendation for those age groups. But obviously we'll keep people updated as JCVI works through that. Finally, there is likely to be a booster programme for those in the age groups who've already been vaccinated, and this will be starting in the autumn. And again, we're awaiting the operational delivery detail from JCVI as how that will be rolled out. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Dr Hewitt. And uh, a slight fraudulent slip 
in your comments earlier to 8,000 people who have chosen not to be vaccinated. I think you said 80,000, so I just thought I would <laughs> clarify that as an easier slip to, to make when we're doing these programmes. <laughs> OK, thank you again, Dr Ewart. Now, I've said on a number of occasions that our response to the virus is under constant review. In the Council of Ministers, we have often have long and searching discussions on how best to proceed, taking into account the latest evidence and advice. An example of this you will have seen earlier this week is in relation to face coverings. We now strongly advise everyone to wear face coverings in crowded and enclosed spaces. This remains a matter of personal choice, but the message here is about making the right decisions, and not just for you, but also for those around you and taking into account your choices in different situations. For example, on a bus you may wish to wear a face covering as you can be crowded and with limited ventilation. We are not out of this pandemic and whilst we continue our journey to learn to live with the virus, there cannot be a return to complete normality, only relative normality. And so we must continue to work together to prevent the spread of the virus. Hands, face, space and fresh air. These four things need to be at the forefront of everyone's minds each and every day. Cleaning hands regularly. Asking yourself if you should wear a face covering to protect you or those around you, especially when in crowded places. Likewise, keeping your distance from others in these situations where possible. And fresh air. Are the windows open? Could you do something outside instead of inside? We know ventilation makes a significant difference in reducing the likelihood of the virus spreading. All of these factors combined can help to reduce the spread of COVID-19 in the Isle of Man. David, I know there are a few items you wish to discuss, including the NHS COVID pass. Thank you very much, Chief Minister. Starting with that, with the NHS app update, um, the DHSC and Manx Care have ongoing contact with NHS Digital in regards to gaining access to the NHS app that will provide proof of residence vaccination status. The department was initially given the 12th of August as a date for launch. However, due to legal matters on the UK side, this date is unfortunately not possible. We are working hard with NHS Digital to get this up and running as soon as possible and to sort out the issues from the UK's legal side. Initially, when live, individuals will be able to ring 119 and request a vaccination certificate letter that will include the specific QR code that, when scanned, will show the appropriate COVID-19 vaccination information and also the relevant security measures. This means individuals will be able to travel internationally with recognised proof of their vaccines. Once this stage is live, work will then progress to get access to the full app online for Ireland residents. Whilst this is ongoing, we remain with the temporary solution of requesting a letter containing proof of vaccination from Manx Care for those travelling outside of the UK and will also now include an approved letter from DHSC. All residents are reminded that it is their responsibility to check that the letter will be accepted by the authorities of the country they are visiting prior to travel. The Director of Public Health just touched before on COVID-19 vaccination and those in the age group 16 and 17. DHSC will be looking to move forward with a vaccination for those aged 16 to 17 and the, uh, the, the vaccine on offer is the Pfizer vaccine. 
The updated advice means that we can be confident that young people will be afforded around 80% protection against hospitalisation following a first dose, and it's expected that protection will probably be higher as younger people respond better to vaccination. As with the announcement last week on offering the vaccine to children aged 12 to 15 who are more susceptible to COVID-19, planning has begun and the vaccination team are awaiting the full documentation and indemnity to be provided by the UK government. So we should be able to make announcements shortly on the rollout for both of those groups. Turning to the hospital statistics on the dashboard, we became aware of a post on social media late last night questioning the statistics um, of the hospital admissions. I can confirm that the case numbers are updated daily on the COVID-19 dashboard, which shows the number of patients receiving treatment in hospital with a COVID-19 diagnosis and those in the community who have returned a positive result through a PCR swab. All patients currently in hospital receiving treatment for COVID-19 are reported accurately in our data and feature on the dashboard. It is not correct that the particular patient um, does not appear on our dashboard. All patients do. Turning to care homes, in the last hour or so it's been announced an extension to the temporary closure of Manx Care run homes that initially closed on Tuesday the 27th of July. In relation to Retina Bay, that extension will be made for a further 14 days with effect from 5.30 to tomorrow. And in relation to other residential care homes operating for older people, Manx Care Homes will remain closed for a further seven days, also with effect from 5.30 tomorrow. Visiting will be allowed on compassionate grounds and will be managed on a case-by-case -case basis by the management team of each home. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. And now we move on to question time. And first we have Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. If I could start with the Health Minister, please. We've uh, had reports of staffing pressures at the hospital, um, testing and results taking slower from the grandstand than people were expecting. And the Manx Care have also announced that some adult uh, respite care services are being suspended so their staff can be redeployed elsewhere. Is the health service coping with this properly at the minute? And also, how much worse are we, are we likely to get into the winter when Public Health England are warning of other illnesses coming back, such as seasonal flu? At the moment, the system is coping. It is stretched. I've got to be honest about that. Um, we have staff, of course, that are in isolation, and that means that staff are having to take on other duties as well. I want to take the opportunity to thank all of those on the front line. It is an especially a stressful time for them, and many people have been taking on additional roles to try and you know, care for patients and keep the system running. So I do want to take the opportunity to pay tribute to all of those on the front line, because they really are the people that are keeping the cogs turning we were expecting that the system would come under pressure particularly as covid spread in the community um, so we have the mitigations in place we have the outbreak plan if we need to and what you have seen there is where we do have to take temporary measures then we will do so to preserve capacity within the system thank you and just uh, secondly in terms of the rollout for 16 and 17 year olds is the plan to use one central hub or will it be going down the route which is being explored in particularly london at the minute of going into the community and especially in September looking at using the schools themselves as providing an ease of access situation. 
Well, we actually hope to have it up and running before September um, at the moment. We'll wait and see if that actually happens or not. But certainly, assuming all the correct paperwork is in place, we would hope to be able to utilise a hub system um, to be able to do it. The hub system has served us well. Um, but we will see what comes of it from Manx Care and how they believe that the rollout can be most efficiently done. But we certainly hope, assuming that we can get the paperwork in place from the UK around the indemnity and the use of the vaccine, to have it rolling out before we get to September. Thank you. Thanks very much, Sam. Now we move on to Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast to mind. Good afternoon. Um, first of all, could we please have some clarity on the circumstances involving the death in the community today, please? Right. I haven't got any details of that. I don't. David, are you able to... No, no it, it's, too, it's too fresh at the moment, Chief Minister. We don't have any further details on it, other than that it is one death in the community. Okay. Are we likely to get any information on that? It normally, it's normally a couple of days later that I actually get the information um, around it. Again, it's not full patient information. All that can be shared with me is any specific circumstances. Um, but my understanding at the moment is of the two deaths announced, one was in Nobles and one was in the community. But we don't get that information instantly. Okay, thank you. And uh, secondly, there, there is some confusion, as you addressed there, about the numbers of people in hospital at the moment. People are seemingly questioning whether these figures are verifiable. In fact, I was speaking to a hospital patient earlier who was in a, a fairly serious condition. They said there appeared to be fewer people on that one COVID ward than matched up with the official government statistics. And they also raised a bit of a query concerning the fact that once someone goes into hospital, registers a COVID test, 10 days after they have received that positive result, they may still be in hospital retrieving treatment for COVID, but they're not listed as a hospital admission on the government figures. Why is there such an apparent lack of clarity about the numbers of people in hospital? Right, I can come in straight away on that, and that is not actually true. Um, people don't drop off who are in hospital after the 10 days. It is only within the community that they're presumed recovered. There is not a presumption of recovery in the hospital. They remain within the hospital figures. Um, the, there is two currently in ICU, so the number will be lower on the ward than actually what is there. Um, in relation to patients, as I said, there is absolutely no confusion. The figures are the figures, and those are the patients in hospital. I think, Alex, I think I said, um, when I said 16 people in hospital, that was yesterday. I believe that number's down to 13 today. Thanks very much, Alex. Now we move on to Ariane Barua from 3FM. Good afternoon, Ariane. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Um, could government publicly respond to the request by the Emergency Advisory Committee that you put in place a detailed roadmap of how you're going to deal with the pandemic going forward, a, a roadmap that, that highlights the scientific advice behind policy, pointing to the thresholds at which you would consider infection rates and death rates on the Isle of Man accept, unacceptable enough to consider government action. Well, those figures will only be uh, as, as a, I'm not saying an estimate, but different circumstances will happen. If, if we have just peaked and we've hit those numbers, then you're not going to shut the island down if you know that they're going to go down the following day. For example, our, our number of cases on the Isle of Man in the last 10 days have reduced by about 55%. 
But if you know that uh, you, you've, you're close to those figures and that you haven't reached the peak, then obviously you might do it beforehand. So figures that we get and numbers that we may say, this is when we're going to make changes, you have to take them with all the other evidence as, as well going forward. I don't know, David, if you want to expand on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to, Chief Minister. Going forward, it's not just about um, the way it was declared previously. So, for instance, in the past, we in when we were in elimination and then the first bit of mitigation, it was very easy to do because we looked at you know measures such as the case rate per 100,000, but it's not actually now about cases. So the it will actually shift to looking at what pressure is the hospital under. The hospital has its own outbreak and infection control plan, so we'd be looking at how stretched that is. We would be looking as well as what the outcome of those cases is. Um, but one of the things we also have to take into account is also what is the economic impact and the social impact of any restrictions that we might bring in. Um, so, for instance, you know, there's people who've actually suggested that social distancing should be brought back, but that has an impact on businesses, that has an impact on the way people can live their lives. And there is different things, including mental health issues and so on, that come off the back of that. So it's not as simple as just having, saying, we hit case numbers um, that are at a certain level per 100,000 a population, we're going to do X, Y and Z. We now have to factor that in. So while it is important that we do have a structured plan as to how we respond, as the Chief Minister said, such a plan going forward as we live with COVID has got to be more flexible than just saying if you hit this measure, you do X. It's got to be the ability to take into account other factors as well. And that plan will be made publicly available, will it? Yes, once um, it's, it's been formalised, we'll put it on our, on our website. But as I say, the, the figures, if, if we do put figures there, those figures will be there as a general guide. They will not be there as you automatic. this is what automatically happens if we hit a figure. Because as the Health Minister and myself have said, you, you have to look at the greater picture. Thank you. And your second question? Um, that's that's it from me. Okay, thank you very much. Next, we have Paul Moulton from Alaman Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Hello. Uh, we've been at these press conferences now for some time with the question that's constantly been asked about how many people are suffering that haven't been vaccinated. And up to now, Mr Ashford in particular, you've said you cannot give this information. Yet today, now, under what is extreme pressure from the public, and I know you on the radio yesterday, and this was constantly being asked by everyone, now we can get some more details. Why... Have things changed now? Well, we've been asking for them for all, all the time. The Council of Ministers are restricted by what um, the, our, our medics and data protection allow us to, to, to state. I don't know, David, if you want to expand yeah, on that. In fact, we've been able to go off and compile the data because we've had permission to do so. And it's as simple as that. As I've stated all along, we actually need permission to be able to collate that information. Um, we've been able to do that with the snapshot of the patients currently in hospital. Um, and that's why we've been able to release it. Um, but it's not guaranteed that we will always be in a position to be able to do that. I mean, a lot of people see it as, as, as a way of just hiding things, you know, this data protection. I mean, Sir Patrick Valance, 20th of July, was giving out information on this very subject, and you've held back this long, and it's given clarity. Do you not understand how important, when you come in front of the public, to have clarity for people? It most certainly is, yeah. Paul, but we also have to recognise we have to comply with the law. And, and also, so are, Paul, are so you now... Hang sorry. on, Paul, just let me clarify yeah. further. We're a small island... So if I was to say there's one person in intensive care who's not, say, had the vaccine, that person is instantly 
recognisable. Sir Patrick Valance is, is dealing with millions and hundreds of thousands of cases. So we on a small island, we have to get the permission of the people to state whether they are vaccinated or not. So whilst it's something, of course, it's important as a government, we want to get that message out there that the vaccine protects your lives. Now, we've, for the first time, we've been able to get the permission and the, and the data clearly shows that a significant proportion of people in hospital with COVID have not been vaccinated and therefore the importance of the vaccine. But that's not us wanting to hide that information, that's us wanting to get the information out. But we are restricted because of our small numbers on what we can and cannot say. But I'm delighted that we've been able to have that information to show the public the importance of having the vaccine. So it gets quite right. You have wanted to do this information all the time, but you've been stopped by your medical advisors. Well, we've been, we've been stopped because data protection rules mean that we have to comply with rules and regulations. Now, just because it suits us to um, be able to, you know, we, we can't break the rules just because it, we, because it suits us. We, we, we have to ensure that we have followed all the correct rules and regulations. And we have been advised that the people um, have been asked and have agreed to share whether they've been vaccinated or not. That's why we're able to share that information with yourselves. And I'm so, delighted sorry, that, that we can do that. David, so that, yeah, yeah I, can, I, I also want to come yeah. in, Paul, and just say, to make absolutely clear, there's not some secret bank of information somewhere, so there's not a load of information myself or the Chief Minister has that we, can't, we aren't sharing with the Manx public. The rules equally apply to us. I'm not entitled to that information, um, same as the Chief Minister, apart from where the appropriate permissions are in place. And those permissions in this instance have been able to be obtained. There will be cases going forward where we will be. If you look back over the pandemic period and all of the numerous press conferences we've done, there's been certain occasions where, for instance, I've been able to release postcode data. But when we had the low number of cases, we weren't able to do that because it was classed as identifying data. And this is exactly the same. But you're relying, are you saying this, that you're relying on patients to tell you that they, they'll allow you to tell the public. So when you get other people on other days who don't want information out, you'll give out a number, but it won't be the right number necessarily, surely, because some people are going to hold back that information. Where information isn't willing to be shared, we can't share it, Paul. So the people have a right to privacy the real... information. Sorry, sorry. The number you're going to give us won't necessarily be the number. It'll be just the people who have agreed for that information to be shared, yes? Well, well, if people aren't willing to share their personal information, we have no power to compel them to do so. People have a right to privacy, and if they don't wish to share their personal data, then they do not have to share it, and that's the law. So that number won't necessarily be correct? That's what I'm trying to get to. No, no, so no the number is correct. This number is correct because everyone has shared the information. What we're saying is in the future and past... If we haven't got the permission, um, we, we, we cannot state that. Because as I say, when you're down to small numbers, like if there was one person in intensive care and they weren't vaccinated, then it could be tied back to that one person. Um, we're, we're dealing with very small numbers on a very small island. And as I say, in the UK, considerably more numbers. So you can't be traced back. You, you have your anonymity in, in sheer volume of numbers. Okay. So it's Thank not you. a case that we don't want to. We, we have to follow rules. 
And in fact, it's frustrating, Paul, because a lot of the data, if we could share it, would probably give very, very good information around vaccination like we've been able to do today. But we do have to recognise that there will be occasions like today where we've got the data and we can share it because we have a full data set. Um, but equally, there will be other occasions where we don't have a full data set and won't be able to share. Because as you've just rightly said yourself, if we haven't got a full data set, then it doesn't necessarily give us the information that we want. OK, thank you. My Indeed. second question, Dr Hewitt. Why are you not giving the information or up to now in, from your side? And are you still frustrated that Coman are not necessarily taking uh, your advice? I'm sorry, but I don't understand the questions. Um, data is released when we've got data that's of appropriate quality and with the right permissions to do so. Um, and I don't know where you've got the idea that I think that Coman aren't taking my advice because that's not the case. Well, you, you said last time in a very roundabout way that they, they weren't taking your advice, weren't you? So, I mean, are they or aren't they? No, I didn't. I said that the decisions sit with Comin. They take my evidence into account, as they do all other evidence. It's not for me to give opinion as though I expect that opinion to be followed. So, from my perspective, so long as I'm comfortable that evidence has been taken into account and balanced with all the many things that government does have to take into account, then I will support that decision and I certainly wouldn't go around saying that I didn't. And that first part was just about what they'd said, that they, they were being withheld from the information by medical team. Now, I don't know if that's you or whatever, but have you therefore change your mind that this information also should be in the public domain or what's going on data on the status of hospital patients is not public health data that is owned by manx care so i wouldn't have discretion to release or not to release that because i don't have it it's manx care data which they actually legally couldn't transfer to the public health directorate unless it complied with data sharing agreements and gdpr so that that's not that's not a block that I could put in, even if I wanted to put in, or that I could release if I wanted to do that. Okay, so that is a question for Max Care, but maybe we'll get someone from Max Care to come on sometime. Yes. Okay. Thanks very much, Paul. Now we move on to Dave Moore from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Dave. Fast am I? Fast am I? Um, it could be argued four people may still be alive had lockdown been enforced just a little longer. As an island, we seem to cope internally over the past 18 months. Could we not have kept that going for just a few more weeks until more vaccinations were in place? Or were we at breaking point in terms of keeping border restrictions in place and that now wealth is more important than health? Well, I, don't, I certainly don't think wealth is more important than health, Dave. And also, it, it, it's a sad um, but true fact that actually the cases had come onto the island before we went onto the two plus two border changes. Sadly, a couple of people came back to the island and had a um, negative test, um, which was then shown to be positive six days later, and that was the source of, of, of the outbreak. We ha have always said we've got to learn to live with this outbreak. Now, obviously, there are some people who sadly may have died um, with, 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 with COVID as a result of, of another underlying issue. We on the island have to learn to live with it. We've put, we've, we, we keep restrictions in place, so we're still asking, doing border checks for people who aren't vaccinated. We're still doing um, tests for people presenting themselves, but we've got to learn to move forward and all deaths are, are regrettable. And as I say, I said at the start, uh, my sincere um, thoughts are, are with the families of those in, affected. But we, as, as a society, 
have got to move forward and learn to live with this um, terrible um, illness and the vaccine is a significant way forward to help. I don't know, David, if you want to expand. Yeah, if I may, Chief Minister, I mean, it's a sad occasion for our close-knit community, which is what our island is, when any member of our community loses their life, be it from COVID or be it from any other disease. And the issue is we've got to be realistic with COVID that at whatever point we release, even if we'd waited a couple of weeks, even if we waited a couple of months, even if we waited to the end of the year, at some point COVID is going to come back into our community. And we have to be honest with the fact that there will be serious illness and there will be death as a result of that. Um, as the Chief Minister has laid out, the current outbreak actually started the week before the changes to the border restrictions um, from, from a couple of um, people who tested negative on arrival and then tested positive on day six. So yeah, it is very sad when anyone loses their lives or anyone is seriously ill, but we do have to recognise that COVID isn't going anywhere. And no matter when we did this, this was always going to be the most difficult stage because we have got to try and learn to coexist with this virus. And that's not an easy thing to do, particularly after we've spent a year trying to mitigate, trying to control. And we have to remember that the reason we were doing that was to allow the vaccine rollout to begin um, and also to protect those most vulnerable. And at the point we opened the border, the vaccination programme had done that for the most vulnerable categories. So although it's still rolling on in the other age groups, those age groups are actually at the lower end of the vulnerability scale um, but like I say there is never going to be a perfect time and we do have to be honest that at whatever time we had opened up there was going to be a form of serious illness and sadly tragically as with a lot of diseases there will be deaths. Yeah I think it's also important Dave to take into account that Coleman's dealing with increases in, in suicide, mental health, um, alcoholism, families splitting up, housing shortages, um, because the families are getting divorced and there's not enough housing um, for, for, for the, the, these people in this situation, that people's mental health with their businesses may be going under, businesses on the, on the break of, of, of going down. So when is the right time to open? When, are, when do you take into account the number of operations cancelled because we've, for hips, for cancer treatments, etc., because we've had to keep a ward open potentially for because of our COVID rules and regulations. It's a it's a dreadful situation to have to make these decisions. We have a significant number of people vaccinated now, and I'm glad to say that um, the vaccine does seem to be working. It is giving people who are fully vaccinated the protection that we would hope them to, that that they would have. But a, a really tough um, decision has had had to be made. Your next question, Dave. Uh, thank you. Um, you said earlier, Chief Minister, a couple of times about the case numbers coming down. Uh, how confident are you that everyone who's testing positive on lateral flow is then going for a PCR test? And why would and should people go for PCR if they think they're already positive? Well, if you think you're positive, there, there can be there is a small percentage of, of false negatives on a lateral flow and a PCR will give you the full um, result, a, a far more detailed and, and correct result. That You need to know for yourself, you need to know for your family to ensure that you don't spread it to your family if you've definitely got it to protect your colleagues at work. The PCR test is, is very useful. Um, from a selfish point of view, you won't get any um, payment if you're not entitled to any benefit, if you've got to um, not go to work. If, if you haven't had a PCR test to prove that you're COVID positive, those are but a few reasons why you should, why we think people are 
um, doing it. And also, I would say that I think we're probably capturing far more people as a result of the lateral flow test now than we would do, um, say, in, in the outbreak in March, because an awful lot of people who are having the lateral flow were um, not showing any symptoms, but the lateral flow has, has picked it up. I don't know, David, if you want to give any further uh, examples. Y yes, Chief Minister, if I may. I mean, in terms of the lateral flow, just to answer the first part of your question there, Dave, in relation to the lateral flow, we are reliant on people coming forward if they have a positive result. Um, exactly the same as we're reliant if someone shows symptoms on them actually coming forward and identifying themselves to go for a test. There is a small risk with lateral flow of a false positive. Um, PCR testing um, actually will pick up and record accordingly, but it is the responsible thing for the people to do if they test positive to come forward, be tested and be isolated for the 10 days to stop and reduce that onward transmission in the community. I mean, the government figures have shown that 2,342 people have contacted 111 after testing positive at the uh, at-home swabbing kits and then 2,171 of those have since tested positive after having a PCR test so it does go to show that it is the responsible thing to do and it's the right thing to do and I would urge anyone be they showing symptoms or have they taken a lateral flow test with a positive result to come forward because they are protecting the community by doing so. But you could understand if someone has um, a positive lateral flow and they're trying to get in touch with a very busy COVID hotline that they'll think there's no point in going for the PCR. I've got COVID, uh, I'll ring in sick at work, um, I'll be looked after pay-wise, et cetera, et cetera. You could understand that, could you? Well, in terms of in terms of the PCR test, of course, the isolation um, actually works off the when it's when the PCR test is booked. So it's not from when the PCR test takes place. So people should take that into account as well. But I would urge people to still come forward and have it confirmed by the PCR, and that way we can get it into our figures and we can see the true extent of any outbreak on the island. But I'll bring the director of public health in. Can we unmute the Director of Public Health, please? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, just to pick up on that. Um, firstly, out of all the people who have contacted um, the testing service to get a PCR, 92% have been confirmed positive, which is a, a very good result. But that does mean that 8% have actually been allowed to go free from further isolation which takes a burden off them. The other point I just wanted to pick up on, which, which is the point you made about people um, getting frustrated at trying to get through the, to the telephone line. In fact, they don't have to do that. They can book directly online, so they don't have to queue. Um, so that makes it a, mo a much more streamlined process for people. Um, obviously, we only know the people who come forward to register a positive LFD. Um, we don't know those that don't. Um, and of those that don't, we don't know how many of them had a positive LFD and either ignored it or just decided to take action off the back of it. Um, as you were saying, they could decide themselves not to proceed to PCR, but stay at home, work from home, whatever. Um, to an extent, we don't mind about that because any reduction is a good reduction. And remember now that we're into mitigation, not trying to drive everything down so that we have no cases on island. So all of that is good and running it on the basis of trust is fine. We're still seeing very good results from it as indicated, you know, the two and a half thousand people that have come forward for PCR after a positive LFD. So we're pleased with the way it's working. 
Thank you. Thank you for that, Dr. Hewitt, and thank you very much, Dave. Now we move on to Paul Hardman from Alaman Newspapers. Good afternoon, Paul. Faster my. Good afternoon. We call this current phase our mitigation strategy. What concrete mitigations do we actually have in place to check the spread of COVID outside of the loose personal responsibility guidance, like for mask wearing? Well, obviously, we have our borders policy, so we only let people in who aren't tested, who have been fully vaccinated and then had two weeks before they can travel. That uh, shows clear evidence in reducing the number, potential number of infected people. We do, obviously, the testing of, of anyone who um, comes forward with, with, with cases to, to see whether or not there are, uh, whether they, are, they, they have the, the infectious disease. We've issued, I think, 100 plus thousand lateral flow tests to help people um, do the test for themselves uh, if they have any doubt going forward. And I'm sure the health minister will be able to give you even more details of what his department has done. Yeah, so the chief minister's hit um, several of the major ones in relation to borders. We not only have continued testing for um, unvaccinated individuals, test to release coming in, we also still have restrictions around who can enter the island in relation to unvaccinated people. It's not um, a fully open border. Um, we still have to have a contractual reason or be a close family member in that regard. Also, for people who've been travelling further afield, we're now mirroring the UK traffic light system. So if people are coming from a red country, they still have to do the 10-day isolation in the UK first, regardless of vaccination status. Um, so there's measures actually in place there around the border. In relation to one island, we still have a full testing pathway in place for those who may show symptoms. And also out in the community with testing with the LFTs, it's 200,000 basically LFTs that we've gone through. Um, and that shows a great deal of testing going on in the island and people being responsible and taking the right decisions. We also have the advice that we've updated around mask wearing. Um, we don't mandate mask wearing. We never have done. Um, what we actually state is, again, that people, if they're in enclosed spaces with poor ventilation, they should wear masks. So there is advice out there, and that all forms part of a mitigation strategy. And secondly, Chief Minister, before the borders opened in June, you said you were nervous about it. How do you feel now that we have seen the outcomes of that decision? Well, I think the numbers have, have loosely followed what um, our, our medics expected. We knew we would see COVID back on the island. We've got to learn to live with it. I've, you know, making these changes was never easy. Opening up was always going to be the hardest part. But equally, the Council of Minister gets information, as, a, as I said earlier in a, in a previous question from one of your colleagues, regarding mental health, suicides, alcoholism, family splitting up, homelessness, all these th things have to be factored in by the Council of Ministers. In the UK, I think at the previous briefing, the Health Minister mentioned that we were seeing more deaths in the UK as a result of restrictions being in place from COVID than actual COVID deaths themselves, with operations being cancelled, cancer treatment being um, not, not being up, up to date. The, the list goes on of all the problems that the Council of Ministers has to make. So opening up, I was always going to be nervous because we'd kept a tight run ship with a number of cases. But once we had a certain percentage of our public vaccinated, especially our vulnerable, which is mid-90s, then we felt confident that we'd protected our most vulnerable. Now, it's incredibly sad that a number of people have contracted COVID. Sadly, we've lost um, people to this disease. But what's equally worrying is that we have 8,000 people who have chosen not to get vaccinated, that can be vaccinated, that can give themselves that protection from the risk of serious illness 
or, or death. So yes, I, I've been nervous since day one of this outbreak. And I think until I hand over to the next chief minister, I, I, I'll stay being worried and nervous and constantly questioning myself, am I doing the best for the people of the island? But you can only do your best based on the evidence that's provided to you. And then you, you make what you hope are the right decisions. Thank you very much, Paul, and thank you all very much for those questions. That's all for today. Have a pleasant weekend. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.